0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 91 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Jonas Smith, and have y'all noticed that we've been doing a lot of how to grow guides lately? Well, that's because this is about the time of year that you would care about growing all these random things in your garden. So that's why I'm coming at you with all this how to grow stuff, and today, we're going to be talking about how to grow eggplant. Now, maybe you're not a huge fan of eggplant or maybe you like eggplant, but you can only do so much of it. Maybe you love eggplant. Whatever the case, at the end of this episode, I'm gonna be talking about three different things you can do with that eggplant, whether you love it, you're kind of like, nah, I'm good without it. It's delicious, I promise. Or you like it, but you feel like you're always running out of ideas what to do with it. So that's what's at the end of this episode. But before we start digging into how to grow it, what it likes, and all that, you know, yumminess that we could do with it, first, a word from our sponsor. I will start by saying that I have had my fair share of troubles growing eggplant from seed. And that's where we're starting today's episode. I'm going to be telling you kind of some tips and tricks to lead you to success growing eggplant from seed. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go so far as to say it's not for the faint of heart, but it requires a decent amount of know-how and it requires probably a little bit of equipment. And well, I'll I'll kind of tell you why. But once you know the important stuff, it's really, it's a breeze. Once I've gotten it figured out, I've been able to grow eggplant from seed every single year. So here's all the important stuff you need to know when it comes to how to grow eggplant, starting from seed. I promise it's not as hard as my early failures would lead you to believe, right? That's why you listen to the podcast. You get all the tips and tricks so that hopefully you don't have to deal with the problems that I had. First thing to know, about starting eggplant from seed is that it is picky about its seed starting conditions. So like its fellow cousins in the nightshade family, uh, solanaceae, tomatoes and peppers especially, eggplant seeds need warm conditions for proper germination, and I mean it. There is no negotiating here. While tomato seeds will often sprout in cooler conditions, eggplant, kind of like peppers, do not like to germinate in anything below 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is why, you know, when I was trying to start my seeds in a basement, you know, our unfinished basement or other cool area, it just wasn't working. You know, they weren't they weren't popping up, or if they were popping up, it was few and far between and they were really weak. So eventually I had to bite the bullet and invest in a couple of seedling mats. And honestly, I'm really glad I did. The ones that I have, they're made by Vivo Sun and they are really inexpensive. I have a link to the product on Amazon in the sister post for this episode. As always, you know, if you guys purchase stuff through the links that I have in the sister posts, I get a small commission from Amazon. No extra cost to you. Just kind of helps me support my blogs, helps me support my podcast. Just want to be transparent. But the things I do link to, they're the things that I have experience using and I recommend them. So they've got that going for them. Seedling mats are designed to give low, constant heat that only raises the temperature of the soil about 10 to 15 degrees, but that's really all you need, right? If it's 60 degrees in your unfinished basement, you know, and it raises it, the soil temperature 10 to 15 degrees, that'll raise it to 70, 75 degrees, and that's perfect. That's exactly what soil temperature eggplant prefers for germination. Seedling mats are also really nice because they're safe to leave on all day. It's not going to max out your energy bill. They draw pretty low wattage in my experience. If you don't want to get a seedling mat, that's totally okay. It's possible to start eggplant from seed, but you will have to monitor the soil temperature carefully. A sunny window can provide the warmth needed if you, if you have a good east or west or south-facing window. But germination rates really start to trend downward once soil temperatures approach 85 or 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It's just too hot. So a soil th- thermometer is definitely something you'll want to have on hand if you put your seedlings in a sunny windowsill or even just like an analog meat thermometer will do. can help you determine things if you know if things are getting overheated. Do not use a heating pad. They get way, 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 way too hot. You will cook your seeds slash seedlings, so don't do that. I will say, you know, my number one tip, if you're going to try to grow eggplant from seed, is to invest in a seedling matter too, or at the very least, make sure that you're placing your seedlings in in a warm place. Number two, eggplant needs to be hardened off. So if you started your eggplant from seed, then this definitely applies. It applies less for seedlings that you buy at your local garden center because at this point they have been sitting in an outdoor or semi-outdoor environment where they have been exposed for several days, if not weeks, to the temperatures, the wind currents, sunlight outside. But if you started your eggplant from seed, then you're going to want to harden them off. Don't transplanted outside too soon, you know, just like tomatoes, just like peppers, anything that loves warm weather, warm soil conditions in its mature phases of life. Ideal nighttime temperatures shouldn't dip below 50, 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And daytime temperatures should regularly be in the 60 to 70 degree Fahrenheit plus range. You know, for me in zone 6A, this is late April to mid-May, I would say. And then before you go setting them out, you know, even though temperatures have reached that, give them a taste of life outdoors by hardening them off first. This allows them to acclimate to things like direct sunlight. So you don't just plant them out from being under artificial light all the time and then outdoors where the sunlight is like hundreds, if not thousands of times stronger than the artificial light that you've been giving them. Also gives them exposure to things like wind where unless you set up with an oscillating fan in your basement those stems haven't had to deal with wind at all and so they can kind of get bent out of shape if you wait too long or if you don't kind of wean them off of that completely still growing environment and give them a little bit of exposure to wind a little bit at a time and then rain even it's totally fine to leave your seedlings outside in the rain as long as it's not raining cats and dogs pouring and it's going to just dislodge the seedlings you know out of their seed starting pots It greatly reduces the risk of transplant shock Hardening off your seedlings does and transplant shock can lead to seedling failure can lead to things like burned leaves that sunlight you know if, if seedlings haven't been hardened off sunlight can burn leaves transplant shock can stunt the seedlings growth, you know, all sorts of different things. So make sure that you are hardening off your eggplant seedlings. Number three, eggplant seedlings need to be big enough to survive pests. So another thing to consider when learning how to grow eggplant is, is transplant size. And because of this reason, I actually end up starting my eggplant a little bit earlier than I start my tomatoes and my peppers. You know, even though I can plant them out at the same time, I let my eggplant seedlings get a little bigger. I make sure they have a few sets of true leaves, three to four sets of true leaves, honestly, and are around six inches tall or so. So why does this matter? Well, eggplant is a magnet for teeny tiny pests called flea beetles. They're about the size of a pinhead, kind of like a flea, honestly, and they hop around like a little flea and they chew holes about the size of a pinhead in the leaves of eggplant seedlings. The seedling needs to be big enough and have enough leaf area that it can handle a little damage and still carry on with photosynthesis and providing the simple sugars that the plant needs to grow. If it's too small and the flea beetles get after it and gang up on it because, you know, you only put like one or two eggplant, you know, seedlings out there, they can, you know, destroy eggplant seedlings if things get really bad. And that leads me to tip number four for growing eggplant. You'll need a plan for dealing with flea beetles. I I don't know if everybody has flea beetles. I don't know if they have flea beetles in California. I don't know if they have them in the UK or in Australia, but they're bad here. They're bad. They overwinter in, in clumps of dead leaves. You know, no matter how much I pick up my yard in the fall, in the winter, they still, they find places to hide. They do feed on plants other than eggplant. I've seen them on my strawberry leaves, but for some reason they seem to like eggplant the most. So if you want to plant eggplant in your garden and they get really bad, you'll need a way of dealing with them that won't harm your plant, your soil, or your critters, little humans and you know, pets, cats and dogs included. So y'all know that I am all about organic gardening. That's how I choose to do things. That's what I feel like is the best for our bodies, our plants, our planet. I'm not going to sit here in judgment of you, but I am going to tell you that the only things that I'm going to recommend to you are are organic control methods, if you haven't figured that out already. If you have, you're kind of like, duh, Shauna. I suggest covering plants to protect them organically from pests, usually. But that doesn't work with flea beetles because flea beetles are so tiny. They can get through... I would say most pest control fabric. So like that ag fabric that has like the really, really fine mesh screen, they could probably still get through that. And they're so small that they might already be in the bed that you planted your eggplant in, like hiding in the crevices or between boards or underneath leaves or rocks. So covering it in this instance doesn't really do a whole lot of good. I have found that neem oil uh, spelled N-E-E-M, neem oil, is my preferred way of dealing with flea beetles organically. It works in two ways. One, it smothers the existing beetles that are sprayed with it. Not pleasant. And, you know, any pest control method, whether it's organic or not, is, is not going to be pleasant for that insect. You're, you're still killing that insect, and it's probably going to experience, you know, some, some pain. So you have to decide if, if it's worth it for you, but in a healthy garden, you're gonna have some pests. They wouldn't come if you weren't doing some things right. So that's the first way it works. Two, neem oil coats leaves with kind of like this yucky tasting and you'll smell it. Man, oh man, neem oil is strong smelling. It coats the leaves with a yucky tasting substance that flea beetles do not like. So I have a link to my preferred brand of neem oil in the sister post for this episode, which, like I said, as always, you can find in the the show notes for this episode. But there are a lot of other neem oil products, brands out there. Just be sure whatever you're buying, if you don't buy something that comes like pre-diluted and ready to use, if you're buying straight up neem oil, make sure you dilute it according to package instructions. A stronger concentration is not better if you have listened to my episode about trying to deal with squash bugs and trying to see if neem oil works on them or tea tree oil works on them i have made that mistake i have tried to make a stronger solution or dilution of of those things and it ends up burning your plants so make sure you follow the directions if you are going to buy straight up neem oil Tip number five for growing eggplant. Eggplant is self-pollinating, but visits from pollinators or you can help. So eggplants like their cousins, tomatoes and peppers have what are called quote unquote perfect flowers. This means that their flowers have both male and female reproductive organs. So usually all they need is a little bit of wind or a bump from a bee and job's done. Some plants like squash and melons have separate male and female flowers and and pollination can be a much larger challenge if you weren't already aware of that. So that's why I'm kind of drawing the distinction here. But even though eggplant has these perfect flowers and pollination as a result is much easier, pollination can still be poor if your garden lies in an area that doesn't get much of a breeze or you don't have very many pollinators in your area. So Try to make sure you've got a few flowers growing nearby to attract pollinators. You can also take a really soft watercolor brush and gently spread pollen around the inside of the flower once it opens up. I don't recommend forcing flowers open to do this. Don't ever force a flower open to pollinate it. The plant likely won't be ready to receive the pollen and that's why it hasn't opened yet um, and you can damage the bud. So. I would definitely say wait till the flower naturally opens to try and hand pollinate it if you need to, if you're kind of noticing that your flowers aren't turning into fruit. Which leads me to my next tip. Tip number six, not all flowers will result in fruit. The earliest blossoms on an eggplant typically will fall off without producing fruit I know it's really frustrating. Tomatoes, less so with tomatoes. You know, tomatoes are actually pretty good about this. Pepper plants, though. If you listened to my episode on growing peppers from seed, pepper plants definitely do this. And like I said, it's really frustrating. But when blossoms appear and then they fall off and they don't turn into fruit this is usually because the plant isn't ready to support fruit yet so think of the the first few blossoms as kind of like the plants dress rehearsal and try not to get too discouraged it's kind of just like testing out the whole blossoming thing if you want to do something to help it along when blossoms do start to form even if they're falling off Give your plant a little nutrient boost by watering it with a diluted solution of fish emulsion and liquid kelp or applying some blood meal. You know, all of these things are going to give it a little extra nitrogen um, and other nutrients that it uses to get even stronger and grow even faster, and it'll help get the plant in fruit bearing shape faster and avoid nutrient deficiencies, which is another reason for blossom fall. It's also important to note that blossom fall can be due to temperatures that are too high. My eggplants typically don't kick into high gear until late August when the worst of the heat has broken. Kind of like when you reach that day where you're like, oh, it's not stifling hot out here. That's usually when my eggplants kick it into high gear and they're like, okay, we can produce fruit now. They spend all their time from you know May until I would say early to mid-August, just kind of growing. And then they produce fruit after that. Tip number seven, eggplant needs lots of water. So yet another reason for blossom drop is lack of water. This can also produce eggplant fruit to be bitter in flavor. So make sure your eggplant plants get at least an inch of water per week, I know it can be hard to gauge, so get a rain gauge if you need to. There are a lot of cheap ones out there. I recommend, and this is one of the few places where I would recommend plastic, but I don't recommend getting a glass rain gauge. I've tried it. It's too easy to break them. The glass is too thin. The plastic ones last for years and years and years, even though you're putting them out in the elements and the sun, they do get brittle over time. You know, I, I don't know. The one I have now I've had for about three years. It was like $5. So it's it's really not that bad. But you need to get a rain gauge, if you haven't already, to put in your garden to figure out what mother nature is giving you. And then you can make up the rest with the hose. And remember, water at the base of the plant where the roots are. It's way more effective and way less wasteful than watering plants from above. So if you can do that, if you have the space for it, I would definitely recommend it. Tip number eight, so we're kind of getting into harvesty specific things. Don't wait to harvest until you have like absolute monster eggplants and make sure you cut, don't snap. So I know we all want to harvest huge produce, but when it comes to growing eggplant, it's important to remember that for everything you grow, there's a perfect time to harvest. Eggplants should be harvested when the skin is still shiny or glossy and the fruit feels firm. If you leave it on the vine past this stage, hoping to get like even bigger fruit, you run the risk of the fruit becoming bitter. And you can tell when this happens actually, because the skin will start to look dull and the fruit will begin to look a little squishy. If this happens, don't worry, you can still eat it. I know sometimes like we, life gets busy and you don't get out to the garden for a few days and and you missed a window for an eggplant fruit you had your eye on. Just slice it up, salt it, good little sprinkle of salt on each slice. Let it sit for 10 to 15 minutes to draw out the bitterness and then rinse well with cold water and proceed with whatever you are you know, using your eggplant for. Make sure you rinse it though. Cause you can end up, if you went real salt happy, you can end up with some really, really salty eggplant. It'll, it'll kind of absorb it. So make sure you rinse it really, really well with cold water. Also, like I said earlier, make sure you cut your eggplant off the vine. Do not try to snap it off the vine. Eggplant fruit likes to keep a firm hold on the vine because they do get pretty heavy. They do kind of weigh down the plant. And if their vines weren't really strong, if the stem wasn't really strong, They would just fall off. So you want to make sure you cut it to avoid damaging the plant and accidentally snapping off a branch or an underripe fruit nearby. I have done this. There have been times where I've been like, I'm going to take a quick trip out to the garden and I don't bring my shears with me. And I'm like, oh, there's an eggplant. And I try to snap it off and disaster occurs. So be sure to clip your fruit off with some shears when it's ready to harvest. I have a link to my favorite Fiskars shears that I really, really like in the sister post for this episode. Tip number nine, all eggplant tastes like eggplant. And and this is really, this is really unique to eggplant, I feel like, because whether it's big or small, it tastes the same, as long as it hasn't been left on the vine too long. You know how like, apples obviously if you if you pick an apple and you eat it before it's ripe it's going to be like really bitter pretty much any plant really you know but eggplant is not that way so if you're at the end of the season and you've got a bunch of baby eggplant and the weather forecast is calling for a freeze pick those babies they will take just like fully grown fruit and it's better to bring them in than risk losing them to a frost which After that frost, they will be mushy and they will not be pleasant to eat because eggplant likes warm weather and it will not deal with frost of any kind. Tip number 10. This is my last growing tip, and then we'll get into those recipes I promised. But speaking of mushy eggplant, dry. Don't freeze your eggplant if you have extra. I learned this the first time I tried to... (laughs) The first time I tried to store my extra eggplant, I froze it. And oh man, is that really disappointing when you pull that out of the freezer and you try to use it in a recipe. Even if you know that it's going to be mushy, it's just, it's real mushy, y'all. It is just, it's gross mushy. It's not good. So if you've got more eggplant than you know, than you know what to do with, I would recommend dehydrating it. I have found that cutting it into cubes and dehydrating it actually allows it to keep some texture once cooked. And this goes for summer squash and zucchini too. I would 100% recommend, you know, drying your summer squash and and your eggplant over freezing it if you have too much of it. So that's like my final tip. It's not really a growing tip. It's more of a, a storage tip. But, you know, I like to to keep those in there because you, you know, if you're anything like me, sometimes you plant a little too much of it or you get really lucky and uh, your plants do super great and and you end up with with a ton and you don't know what to do with it. And I feel like those storage tips are are really helpful in a pinch. So recipes, I have uh, some links to recipes In the sister post for this episode, my first recipe that I would recommend all day, every day is going to be eggplant parmesan. It's kind of like the Americanized cousin of eggplant parmesan from Italy. So we take our eggplant in America and we bread it with an egg wash and super crispy breadcrumbs, and then we fry it. (laughs) So... Because everything is delicious fried. This is one of the few things that I will go ahead and fry. Because I'm like, "Eh, it's a vegetarian meal. So I don't feel as bad about it. Uh, And it tastes delicious. So eggplant parmesan would be my recommendation. Mr. B will eat leftovers of eggplant parmesan. And that is saying something, my friends. He is not a fan of vegetarian cooking in most cases, but I can tell when he doesn't really like something because he won't eat the leftovers of it. He will eat eggplant parmesan leftovers and you really, you do not miss the meat in it. I think it's delicious. So that's going to be my first recommendation. I actually have the link in the sister post is to a post that I wrote on how to get the crispiest, yummiest eggplant parmesan ever on my blog, B and Basil. My next recommendation for what to do with eggplant when you have too much eggplant is baba ganoush. Baba ganoush is a Middle Eastern dip or spread. It's pretty much hummus. The flavor profile is exactly like hummus. It's just that you are using roasted eggplant instead of chickpeas. It is delicious i love it i usually make hummus homemade throughout the year but when it's eggplant season i start making baba ganoush because i just have way more eggplant so some really crazy recipe ideas and these are not my recipes but i have i do link them out there and i am excited to try them this year um this summer is eggplant bacon I'm skeptical. Mr. B is real skeptical because he does not like it when people try to take vegetables and turn them into a meat substitute. So uh, I'm really interested to try eggplant bacon and then eggplant chips. I'm always looking for healthy alternatives for crunchy, salty snack foods because more than sweets, crunchy, salty snack foods are my weakness. I will eat a whole bag of Stacy's pita chips. If, if you just, if you let me, if you give me a bag and you leave the room, that's me all day. So, uh, I'm looking forward to making these eggplant chips and seeing if they're a worthy chip or cracker replacement. We shall see. Uh, if, if I do, you know, if I end up making them and like them, I will definitely let you guys know in a later episode when I can. So that's it for today. Those are all my growing tips. Those are some recipe ideas for what to do uh, if you end up having a little too much eggplant. The nice thing about eggplant is that it absorbs kind of whatever flavors you put with it. So I guess I don't really understand why people dislike eggplant. Maybe it's a texture thing, but there's just a ton of stuff you can do with it. It's just we don't typically work with it in... Our American diets, and so you sort of just need a few a few ideas. Ooh, sorry, eggplant curry. That's another thing I've made that's really good that I would recommend really quick, sorry, is eggplant curry. That's also delicious. In the next episode, I am going to be talking about how to assess frost damage. Now, some of you might be past the point in the year where you have to worry about frost damage. Or maybe you never have to worry about frost damage. And if that's you, you are blessed because, man, frost is just, you follow the timelines, you put your plants out, the experts say that you can put them out, but sometimes a freak frost or, you know, storm kind of blows through and you end up with some plant damage. So I'm going to be telling you kind of the things to look for to assess whether your plant is worth saving what you can do if it is worth saving to kind of help it along and then when you should just call it time of death and pull those seedlings up and probably at that point you'll have to go and buy them which I have done in the past it's always a little heartbreaking but there's no shame in it and like I say if if you don't want to grow from seed and you always go and buy your seedlings. There's no shame in that either. It doesn't make you any less of a gardener. Just for those of us who like to start from seed, it feels really sad and a lot of wasted effort on our end. So we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. Until then, thank you so very much for listening. Things are in high gear here, and I hope that it is the same for you. I hope all your seedlings are thriving and growing. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.